So it was an honour and a great pleasure to speak with Joel Smith. We covered a lot of different topics from how he built his business and why people going through exercise science or working as personal trainers should potentially look at building a business alongside um, their professional skills and their technical skills and the fun that he's had with that, the challenges he's had with that. We also spoke about foot strength and initiations, rites of passage, the things that really make a difference for athletes and youth athletes and one of Joel's greatest challenges or failures uh, when he was working with elite young athletes and, and the biggest lesson that he learned there. So I think there's a ton of value in today's podcast. It was really an honor to speak with Joel after being on his podcast just recently. Joel's a guy who is changing the world for better. He's open to a lot of different ideas and he's speaking intelligently with some of the greatest minds in strength and conditioning and performance. I think you're going to get a ton out of this podcast and I'd love you to reach out to Joel and thank him for jumping on this podcast and the contribution that he's making to the world of performance. Without further ado, enjoy the show. Hopefully the, the geese won't be too loud this morning. You got any geese over there? Um, no, I have turkeys actually in my concrete jungle that I live in a hundred percent opposite of your, your place. We actually have turkeys that lose their way, but my apartment is like, has enough green space that they just like, they, there's like gangs, like eight of them will just walk down the, the, the concrete and just, they like give you these mean looks and <laughs> it is nothing like what you have. But no, I've, I've seen a geese or two around here at some points. I've started working with a, uh, a VA over in the Philippines and, uh, her rooster just goes nonstop every time we're on a call, um, like a, yeah, a team over there. And it's just roost, roosters going nonstop. And she's like apologizing for the rooster. I'm like, no, that's no, good because I'm always like worried about the geese going mental. I'm on phone calls. Like sometimes I'm doing, you know, like sales calls, introducing people to, to what I do and how I do it or whatever. And, and the geese just start barking at me. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, this is, uh, it's just, sorry, it's just the geese. It's not the kids. Yeah, it's part of the ambiance. Like our show we did, it was actually awesome because I know we were talking a little bit about your farm and you got that vibe in the background. And, and I mean, the whole show is about how important environment is, you know, so I, it was it was perfect. It wouldn't have been the same without a few geese. But yeah, there's not much. There's only fire trucks here that occasionally will, will get in the way of any sort of audio or my kids crying. But <laughs> so a little different vibe around here. What's it like being a performance coach in the middle of a, of a mecca like that in the middle of 10 million people? Uh, um, you know, not as busy as you'd think. I, I, it's funny. Like, I feel like my heart is, is a kind of a country boy. I, my job before here was in Wilmington, Ohio, which is like halfway between two major cities, but it's an hour away from either of them. It's in the middle of a bunch of cornfields. And I, that was, I just love that. Like, I just love kind of being in a community, but, but it's, it's a lot more, you know, just natural and but it's, I will say it's like the amount of people around here that you can like just get connected with the amount of brilliant people that you can have a conversation in person with yeah. is fantastic. And so I, I really, you know, I don't know. I, it's, there's always going to be a best of both worlds, but it's uh, it's a good place. I, I think Berkeley definitely chose me. So I'm, I'm excited to be here for now. Yeah. It must be, yeah, it must be a bit of a melting pot of ideas. Like I think that's, I mean, from Australia, that's what, people would ch- tend to think about that, that part of the world where you are. Has it really evolved your, your thinking, do you think, like being, being in that, that environment? Yeah, I, uh, absolutely, man. And I don't, you know, I don't know if 
if it's necessarily the environment because, and I don't want to get too political, but like, I mean, I grew up in the conservative Midwest United States, you know, super Republican and all these things. And it's always like this city in particular is always like this heart of liberalism. Right. And like, I don't, but it, so it's good to actually be like, I, I firmly believe like anything in life training, uh, nutrition, which I know you've gone in this rope, but like this, this find the opposite, go like to both ends of the spectrum and, and experience it and feel it yourself before you make a judgment. Like you have to live it. And so, <laughs> yeah, there's things like there's things. hippies. Yeah, no, I, there's seriously, there is things that I absolutely love about being here and like the, the, the progressive nature here, but there's also actually things I don't like. Um, and so I don't want to get into that too much, but I, like one of the things is it's so cool. Like if I, like the most weird out there conferences you could imagine are always like here, like for example, uh, or, or even just like, you know, you want to do ecstatic dance. Okay, cool. That's right in town, six blocks from my house. Like, whereas if I go back to the Midwest, I don't know, I probably have to drive like three hours, like to go to something that's just, so you, you have those types of things. Um, and even like I was reading Bruce Lipton's book recently on it's like epigenetics and the subconscious mind and, and spon- spontaneous evolution, uh, biology it, belief, biology belief. Yeah. yeah. And he was talking about psych K and like this system that works with applied kinesiology and muscle testament and belief systems to reprogram people. And I'm like, wow, that sounds cool. And I'm like, oh, there's a seminar on that 20 minutes from my house, you know? So it's, it's all these things. And I think, you know, when you get to the new wave of ideas, you have to like vet it a little bit, but I want to experience everything. You know what? I'll, I'll experience it first and I'll tell you what I think. I'm not at this point in my life, just, just, you know, just sign me up. Like I'm going to do it. And then I'll tell you what I think later. But Joel, you know, it has to be evidence-based. <laughs> I almost, I, yes, yes. I, I, I'm very aware of that. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, well, what's your uh, take maybe, on that? You know, like there's that orthodoxy in exercise science, sports science of like, if, if it's not, if there's not like five or six people that are spouting it as off as being the, the gospel of truth, then, then you're a quack and you, you know, you, you should get out of town. You know what I mean? Like how, how does that, uh, that fit with you? You've, you've obviously got this eclectic podcast and you, you know, you're not afraid to have a guest on who, you know, might stir the pot a little bit. Um, What's your, what's your take on, you know, that, that kind of orthodoxy? I, I, I tell you, I absolutely love stirring the pot and, but I, I'll say this, like, I get it. Like, I understand that, you know, we look at what a hundred years ago, the snake oil salesman, or we look at like medicine. If you read like the, the emperor of all maladies and just how far these fields have gone and how young we probably even are in our own field, like we're going to make mistakes. Um, and so like with the evidence-based thing and, and well, this is, uh, <laughs> People say about me, like, I don't, I, I, this isn't a hundred percent true. This is easy for anybody to say, I really don't care what other people think about me. And I mean, I do, but I really, I think most of me doesn't. And so I don't care if someone says Joel's the quack Joel's, you know, cause at the end of the day, it's about, okay, look, like I've felt this and I've experienced this and I have allowed my intuition to experience this. And I think that we just, as a society undervalue our intuition and I heard this, it was on a podcast. It was like, I think it was Satori Prime, which is what personal development one I really like is they were talking about people who are overly evidence-based. And I look at it as a spectrum. Like I'm not like, oh yeah, like it's all intuition and don't No, the research and data is important. It, it yeah. is. And I'm not going to dismiss that, but people who are like, or the show me a study, I won't believe this unless I have a study, they hear something they don't like, where's the research that is pure fear speaking. Like that is, there's a fear of uh, the unknown. Ultimately, you could say fear of death in there if you really want to go down that rabbit hole. 
Um, there's always a fear-based paradigm and in, in yeah. people who are just overly evidence-based. And, and so it's a balance. It's a spectrum. There's, you have to, yes, we want to be better at honing our own intuition. And there's a lot of books and methods and, you know, meditation and all these things to get more in your own intuition. But yeah, you also have to check your ego at the door to also be willing to vet that with data and incorporate the full spectrum. And, and so, yeah, anyways, I, uh, so I like, I want that on my own show. Like I had a guest who's going to be on this week, who is very Chinese medicine, acupuncture, totally out there on that world. Some people maybe not going to like it. This next guest I'm going to have is in data and sports science. And I, I love that. I want to have, I want to like take all these pieces of the field and I want us to be able to, like I just read the laws of human nature by Robert Greene, highlighted almost the whole thing. And I want to like, you. it's almost like I'm this weird intermediary because I'm not like hyper creative. I'm definitely not awesome at like calculus and stats, but I think I have this weird thing in me where I can like, I can process stuff somewhat well. <laughs> and so maybe that's my, my purpose in life, I guess. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I think that's, that's true that it's, you know, the fear of the unknown. And even if you do produce the studies, often it's like, oh, you're cherry picking, you know, like that's the, that's the next line as well. So it's, I think there is definitely a, a big pushback against change and that's probably going to be a constant. Like there's a big paradigm shift. It's, it's always, you know, rejected, violently rejected and then accepted, you know, like at first it's ignored, then it's violently rejected and then, and then they, it becomes their idea, you know what I mean? So um, I think Charles Poliquin, who's a huge influence on me, you know, I think he dealt with a lot of that, you know, like he, he had a lot of success and he used different methods and he believed in a lot of, you know, the Chinese medicine and, and he went further into supplementation and, you know, he used the biosignature method, which is still, you know, massively criticized by, by a lot of people, but it just, you know, it doesn't really make sense to, to bash the creative people because we know that it's going to be different you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, our understanding of the human body and performance, I think is going to be so far from where we are now that people are going to be looking at what we're doing now and thinking, oh, they were missing all this stuff or that, you know, they were kind of right about this, but they, they, the mechanism was completely wrong. You know what I mean? And I think some of that stuff will come from, you know, that more, you know, intuitive stuff and spiritual things and understanding the energy of the brain and the heart and like, um, you know, I think there are areas for, for growth in that, even, you know, heart rate variability with Joel Jameson and, and stuff. Um, it's, it's coming back around to what the yogi said and what the, you know, like your heart energy is going to influence, you know, your, your recovery ability and your ability to live. Like it's, uh, I think that's what makes it an exciting time as well. There's so much, so much blending together of ideas. What, what's something that you feel really uh, like intuitive about, that maybe other people aren't necessarily accepting just yet or interested in pursuing enough. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, so, I mean, the area I'm like going towards uh, is, and a lot of my reading the last year has been on, I would guess, I, I mean, it's just so easy to say like, like the mind and training, right? Like, and like one of my guests, Logan Christopher said, everyone's going to say, Oh, it's all mental, but then they don't do anything. Like they just say it's all mental. Like it's almost to like puff up their own brain or something like, Oh, this is so mental. Like i such a mental master or something, but then are you, I don't know, are you doing visualization? Are you doing hypnosis? Are you doing like awareness exercises? No, you like people, people pay credence to that. Um, but I've been around like a good number of coaches who are masters of culture and, you know, buy-in. Uh, and then on top of that too. So I, I have these experiences with these elite coaches in that regards. 
And then uh, this is the one thing where I think you, you said it, like it's the blending of spirituality with training. And I think of it this way too, like um, this was a really a, a cool, like this was a good step for me on like this ladder of like trying to understand. I'm like, what is this field exactly, right? Like, because the, in the perfect world, you think if I'm training a team sport, well, the perfect world would be from, from just a non-spiritual, just black and white point of view. And I'm not saying that this isn't like necessarily the best thing in some, in some, if not many situations is the sports skill coach is also the strength coach. From a mechanical perspective, that makes the most sense. If yeah. I'm a track coach, I should do the weightlifting for my group. Like it, the more, like we talked about this on our own podcast, the further like you get split up, the, the worse it gets in terms of efficiency. And you have the strength coach with their agenda and you have the sports scientists with their agenda and sports medicine. And yes, the more symbiotic that department can be, the better ultimately. And I think that we are advancing towards that as we move in, in, into personal development and relational and emotional intelligence and, and relations and all that as we uh, advance in our system. Yeah. Uh, uh, but but I think that and I've talked with, and so, you know, I did this podcast with Michael Dango talking about that, you know, getting strong fundamentally, just getting stronger. The process is not that difficult. And then talking with Nick DeMarco, the next podcast, kind of similar type of a thing and understanding and talking about him. But I think the the fundamental thing that gets left behind in that scenario is the fact that I think the pursuit of strength is almost more of a spiritual pursuit on some levels, or, or is a, there's a strong spiritual element to it um, that it's hard to put into words unless you've been through that process yourself, unless you've you've either had a mentor, someone who's trained you. Um, to me, my buddy, uh, Paul Cater, who owns a gym down in Monterey, he always calls it vibe. Like, is, is there vibe today? Like, and, and he is the most like, spir- is the most spiritual training experience of your life to train with this man. I mean, it, it, and I could never, and it's funny because it's like, it's almost like a beautiful piece of mu- music being improvised. Like yeah. the artist might improvise and you say, well, can you do that again? And they'll, they'll okay, I can try. I love that way but, of thinking about this. This is, uh, <laughs> that's what it's like, isn't it? It's like painting a masterpiece, like a session that just flows like, it's that artistic side of, of things like where you've, you've got the base skills and technical stuff, right. And then it's, um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's where I'm like, and in talking with, it's like, you know, sometimes I'll get pulled like on one side of the pendulum. I'm like, okay, yeah. Like maybe this industry is kind of outdated. We need to grow into sport coaches, but then it's like, pull back. It's like, wait, like, are we understanding the spiritual ramifications or the holistic ramifications of having someone who is specifically dedicated to training Yes, you physically, but it's almost like strength and conditioning and, and, and personal development almost go hand in hand on many levels. You see the people who are the highest masters of their craft and there's, especially on, you know, almost maybe even the gen pop level on some terms, you know, away from a little bit of the data, data and sports science world, there is such a, a, a personal level of it all. And, and, you know, you could say emotional, you know, easily, but I, I mean, spiritual it's there. And so I think that the more that we can understand what that is, why that is, um, and how that leads someone to achieve their full potential, the more I think we can continually integrate and refine what we're doing. And so my, where my, my beliefs and my, my reading has really traveled is, um, like some of the books I've read this last year is, um, uh, like, yeah, the, the biology belief. Yes. Like with Bruce Lipton, uh, at the same time I was reading, Oh, I can remember this, <laughs> the cure within the cure. So basically like placebo based medicine, the, the body's ability to heal itself. Yeah, uh, right. And, and, and so everything that's wired in our system to become great, uh, how do you unlock that in an athlete? And it's, it's more than sets and reps. 
Um, and especially in my job where it's like, like by default, like my first love was coaching track and field. And now I'm in a physical preparation situation. And, you know, it's like you do this for enough years and you just want to continually find like pieces to unlock. It's like rather than splitting hairs on velocity based training and bands and chains and, and, you know, body weight or, uh, or, or whatever kettlebells or whatever, all the modalities, you can split all the hairs in the world. I, I just feel like it's a lot more valuable to say, okay, look, like, like it's getting strong is the means of getting strong and fairly well established. I think we are learning a few new cool things here and there. Like I know me and you both, you know, experience with Ben Patrick and with you know the polyquin knees over toes stuff and tendon strength and health and muscle length and all that. And I, I'm like that, that podcast changed me. Like I, that was awesome. Um, so, but the, the overarching thing is like, I need to continue to the, uh, develop this emotional, spiritual process that I think is, um, regardless of your training is probably the greater piece. If you are in what we call a true physical preparation and strength and conditioning setting. Sorry, yeah. there's a lot. <laughs> no, it's I hundred percent. And it's, it is difficult sometimes to be specific when, when you say this, but often when you shake an athlete's hand, you kind of know who you're dealing with. Like, before you see them lift, you know, like you talk about functional movement screens and all this stuff. Sometimes when, you know, when you just shake a guy's hand, you go, yeah, this guy, like we're all in here, like this is, we're on here or this is going to be a real challenge to get this guy to work, you know, with me and he's dealing with some serious emotional stuff. Like sometimes even on the first couple of minutes of a phone call, you go, oh, this, there's, some, there's some serious uh, baggage here, you know what I mean? And it's going to impact the, the training. So like, I, yeah, I think it just opens up new levels if you can clear clear a path mentally what what have you experienced there for yourself you know you're reading this biology of belief and the cure within and have you had experiences like this where you you really invest in a in a thought process in a state in a belief and and it comes about you know you make a you make a shift in yourself whether it's with training or even something related to business like that's that's a good question um well uh, so I, I'll take it from a few angles. Uh, one, I'll take it from just like what I've seen in my past. So, and I always remember these experiences, but they could become even more valuable and vivid now. Back when I was uh, a track coach full-time and, and I, I believe that that season of my life as a full-time, this is your main job, track and field coach. Uh, that was there because that's what I needed to get started because that was my, it's your way of referencing, you know, sport and competition. And, and it's kind of your starting point. And I'm, you know, still a crack coach, still love it. It's a huge passion of mine. But I remember I had a big, a significant issue with, I only wanted to coach the best, the best athletes because those were the ones who made me look good. Because, you know, if you have athletes on the podium at nationals, you can hopefully move up the ladder and get the next job in the chain in this whole system that we have. Yep. And I remember in that process, I was leaving kids at the wayside, basically just writing a kid's workout and saying, do it. <laughs> and 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 not even thinking that that would have an impact on that person you know just kind of popping my head in okay how's your workout going cool like then i go back out to my 611 high jumper who's maybe we could win nationals you know and and just this incredibly immature and and you know very strong lack of awareness and what and i had these athletes would struggle and i remember just one of these athletes one day i walked in and she was doing like some some jumps in the gym or something like that and she just like almost started crying and i and Maybe she did. And I asked her about it. And then she basically was telling me how I, for, for, I don't sure exactly. I don't remember exactly how it broke down, but I was just really ignoring her and just writing her a workout. And there was zero attention given to her. 
like so so all the mechanics were there i felt like i wrote good work oh sure (laughs) yeah you completely ignore a person and she was doing terrible and so it's a great bottom line for a young coach right like (laughs) oh yeah yeah and so so what happened is she ended up going with uh working with my my who is my boss the head coach who was the distance coach so not like a big high jump guy you know but but he gave her attention and and instantly like literally like the snap of my fingers was jumping three or four inches higher like went from four six to almost jumping five feet zero right. change in the world just and you could just tell there was just energy in in, in her how she moved and and i was like i was like whoa like yeah, i mean at the same time i wasn't like super concerned at the, the same point that but i was like whoa like yeah that you know it was kind of heavy and so then i i you know i mean i'm a full-time strength coach now and i fully believe this that the reason that I, this is my job right now is because i had to learn to go from if you're the head coach head sport coach i think there's more like you know your athletes do well that's good for you look at my athletes doing well look at how good of a coach i am if you are the strength coach you are a little bit more of a support role now it's not so much like uh, you know, yes, it's good to get people stronger and, and all this, but you're almost a behind the scenes person. You aren't the yeah. first person that people, you know, Duke, Duke does awesome at basketball. You know, people are looking at, you know, coach K he's, uh, coach K's the man. He's awesome. And no, just, I mean, coach K is a huge respect for the man. He's awesome. But I don't even know who the strength coach for Duke basketball is like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, so it's, it's a, it's almost like, you know, yeah. life has taken me this role where it's like, you are behind the scenes. Now you need to learn how to nurture athletes from uh, without any recognition really for yourself. It's all about you and them and the relationship and what you can give to them. And yep. so, yeah, within that scope too, I, I just see, like, I see the processes of yes, like, like little placebo instilling almost effects that I've seen some coach coaches give to athletes. And there's that, yep. um, I it's reframe my mind with like, um, like my men's swim team does a really difficult, uh, circuit, it's almost like an initiation. It is an initiation, basically. Yeah. They do a, this difficult circuit every year. And I think if you're just a pure like numbers person, you'd be like, well, this circuit is dumb. It's not really getting any training done. It's, you know, it's this, that, and the other thing, but it's totally the cultural and spiritual element of it that is, is much more valuable. And I think, you know, every year I go through that, like I bought the book, The Arch- Archetype of Initiation uh, by Robert Moore, I think it is. And you, you, it's just, you learn like how we grow up and these, these figures in our life, they're almost tribal figures in a sense. And yeah. you, you look at how all that factors into it all. And just always looking behind what we would typically look at as X's and O's has been valuable. And then moving forward, like, like you said, I, I have paid so much more belief or attention to, I would call it almost like self-worth and training outcomes. And, and that's the big one. It's like, yeah. You know, you work with someone whose self-worth is extremely low. Your whatever whatever you want to accomplish in training, your mind will grant you that wish. If yeah. your self-worth gives you a particular picture of yourself, that's pretty much your your ceiling. And I think that's why a lot of coaches are going into the personal they're they're tired. I think especially like in the private, like just training sector for like, you know, general pop, like people are just sick of training people to see them, you know, just they'll leave them and go back to the results or they're always they just aren't seeming to get results, but it all starts with um, your belief system about yourself. And so to me, it's like the, you think about this, that one little thing the coach told an athlete that was just at the right time to make them believe in themselves. And yeah. I had a coach like that. Uh, he just passed away this past year, but a coach like that when I was in college and there's no way I would have jumped seven feet without him because he just was a master of planting these little seeds of self-belief that would raise what you think you were capable of doing. And it had nothing to do with sets and reps and training but it had everything to do with instilling 
uh, belief. And, and so I, I, I'm always thinking about that as I go throughout training and how do I encourage and how do I help people believe in themselves and, and how do I overcome this? Like we also live in this functional movement screen world or yep. whatever, not just FMS, but any system that assesses and corrects and how easy it is as a physical prep coach to tell an athlete a million things wrong with them. Like what is, what is everything you are doing to giving to their self-worth? It's like you know, objectification it's, as well, isn't it? Like, it's like you, you're this, you know, you're, you're these numbers and this data set, you know, where sometimes, yeah, like the, what you've seen there with that athlete jumping another two, three inches, like that's also a big part of what we need to be looking for. Yes, we need to get the session right. But if the team comes together because of experiences that they go through, even if that experience is not necessarily the most, you know, the best one backed by sports science, if that brings your swim team together and they all love each other and they, they're excited to see each other every day, then, you know, how do they get the training done? How do they, how do they push for their times in the pool if they're feeling that, you know, that connection to each other, you know, like it's, yeah, I think it's a great, great, you know, point that you're making there, Joel. And I, I feel as though too many people uh, are just emphasizing, overly emphasizing, you know, the, the techniques and looking for what's the next technique that I need to learn, where it's this underpinning philosophy and belief set that that is ultimately going to make the biggest difference. Like that's, yeah, such a, so much power in in that realization. On the initiation side, I love that that concept. Like, do you feel as though you, you had some some rites of passage passage type experience as an athlete? You've sort of spoken about there as a coach having that rite of passage of you know being the the head of a program and then kind of going through this stage of being a, more of a supportive role as as you see it with your strength role. Like, what about as an athlete? Like, did you kind of have those moments yeah that's that's a, i'm really glad you asked me that actually because it i, I think that as a and I, I always think about this like i feel like well just as society in general we have as men uh i mean and, and i think there's different you know if you look at the tribal there's probably different things for men and women but i know men in particular and a lot of this to talk about and, and rightly so like like men have no formal there's nothing formal we have to do to become a man like there's no there, there's, there's nothing that, there's no threshold we ever have to cross in our life. It's all given to you. Not anymore, right? They have, they have been fast. <laughs> You're 10, here's a smartphone. I don't know. Here's some processed food, you know, that you like, I hope you like it. Um, you, you know, it's just the whole nine yards. And there's never anything that we, and life is comfortable. And like you've talked about with your farm, we never see death. Mm. We're never exposed to anything that's like, it's like, oh, God forbid. Like, I remember in Berkeley, we have a lot of homeless people here. And there was like a homeless person died about six months ago on the street, which is not necessarily completely uncommon. But it's like the second that happens, like police lines all around, you know, you, no one can see the body. Like we just hide from that stuff. Like, and so I, I, I am like, I am the epitome of someone who came up through the ultimate comfortable, hyper comfortable. My parents never maybe even get a job. Um, it was just crazy. Cause I think they were so like, Oh, Joel shows athletic promise. Like let's, you know, really, we don't want to like maybe sidetrack him. And my mom did my laundry for me till I was like 17 or 18. And I was pissed when I had to do it myself, like just unreal. How, how, like I was, if anything, my rite of passage was being in a giant bubble until I was, I mean, you always have those little moments of crisis. Like, like I think my first, some that I remember along the lines, like going even like just how, how lax the days I was like going into, to go into grad school. I'm like, you know, I'm like, Oh, I should probably go to grad school next year. Last year of formal college in this 
completely in my mind defunct by the way educational system where you have to go basically six years to learn the bare minimum, pay a lot. And I mean, I don't know, people have jobs because of it. So I guess, you know, everyone's got to have a job and all that. And <laughs> I mean, I did learn things along the way and I'm grateful for my college athletic and coaching experiences and a lot of experiences, but like, I'm, you know, it's like, oh, you have to go to grad school next year. And I was like, okay, I sent my applications in. I was like, I think my classmates are taking this thing called the GRE. I'm like, what is that? And then I'm applying to a school. And it's like, oh yeah, you have to take this like in you, you, this was already past due. You should have taken this last week and it's the cutoff. And if you want to go to grad school, you had to have it in. So I, I'm like on the phone with these schools, like, Hey, I, I'll take it next week. Can I still apply? And like, just like, just like my life was almost like perpetually like that for so long. Just, just zero responsibility. And I think it finally all caught up to me. Basically this point where it's like, okay, Joel, maybe you, maybe you grew up to be, you're not a child anymore. Cause I was thoroughly a child until at least my mid twenties. Um, I think that the, the, the breaking point was really um, almost losing my job basically, or just coming to this, you know, really difficult point with my boss at my job at uh, Wilmington, because I wasn't doing a very good job recruiting. Like I just think, I think I thought that it was just all going to be handed to me once you get your foot in the door as, at coaching and just like, I think a lot of like relationship stuff and just being, being socially um, and emotionally smart and just knowing how to basically do a good job. And so anyways, um, I think that just woke me up and I, and I also had this like vision of like, okay, wait a second. You don't just get a job, go to school and get a job and just go up this nice clean ladder. And it's just this happy, like this happy land the whole way through. It's like, I, it was at that point, And I had known to myself for a while that I wanted to like start a, a website and a formal blog and formally be a writer and get my thoughts out there. Cause I'd actually been writing since I've been 23 on like a, just like a blogger type thing. Like I've always liked to write. It was just more of a fun, casual thing. It was very sporadic. And, but at that point, like, yes, I like, like I've gone this far and the best next step is maybe a mid-major division one assistant. If that where I'm still going to get paid nothing and work a ton. And it's just, you, you start to look at what this future thought is. And it's like, okay, I need to start this website. So I got together with my business partner. I was like, I'm going to do it. And then it was like this energy ignited in me where all of a sudden, and I started to drink coffee too, but like this energy ignited in me. Like I had the energy to stay up till midnight writing and do everything else in my day job and do it as best as I could. Um, that next year, I, I like, I, I think I got about eight times the number of kids into my recruiting classes. I did my first year. Uh, just, it, it was like this huge step into real life. Yeah. Um, and so that was like, it was like the first experience and, and it's, it's almost like, and then the, the, the things that I think have come more so along the way too, is like, and I think a lot of us just like a lot of strength coaches get in this or, or, or even sport coaches. Why did you get into sport coaching? Well, cause I'm really competitive and I still want to validate myself. <laughs> And so those walls slowly breaking down, being a sport, a strength and physical prep coach has been the important one. Cause it's like, okay, Joel, like you're not going to stand up there and shake your athlete who won nationals hand. Like everyone's going to see you're not, that's not the point of this existence. This is what you're doing. And so for me to slowly, but surely realize that and take that on and go through athletes journeys through their four years, um, not even in my sport. I don't even work as a strength coach for track anymore. I yeah. coach club track. I absolutely love it, but it's with kids. And that's yeah. taught me an immense amount with children, like working with children. And so I'm, I'm seeing all these other areas. It's like life is just bringing these things into my, yeah. my place. But the sad thing is I really haven't had a formal, like, I guess you could call it like tribal, like mentorship that force. It's just been what life has given me. And it's just in the slow burn that's made me who I am. But so anyways, kind of a long ramble, but that's, that's how the story of why I'm here. Why yeah. I'm talking about it now. 
we've got a lot we've got a lot of common ground there you know i i put myself on a journey and i wanted to you know i had bank cards with me i wanted to turn up my credit cards when i was backpacking through latin america to just have a challenging real experience but it was it was challenging and real enough like but i had to do that to kind of feel like I was becoming a, a man and you know what I mean? Like I'd had that comfortable upbringing as well in sports and I think we have a lot in common there. I started to write at the same age. Um, and we, we, we have a similar age and the same last name. So it's a, you're, yeah, you're a JK, a you're a JS and I'm a KS. So we're, uh, we've got a lot in common, man. But um, that's, yeah. So I think that that's such a huge thing like that. You know, where is the challenge and, and people kind of yeah feeling entitled because they haven't been through a real challenge and never being put in their place by an elder. You know, I think that's a huge thing. Like sometimes now, you know, with my role, like my role is mentoring, like sometimes I, I really have to be strong with someone and say, look, this is not good enough. And they can either just run away and, you know, like stop, you know, stop being part of what I'm doing or, or they actually take it as a, you know, as that kind of almost fatherly figure. Like I know I have been a fatherly figure for a lot of guys because they just don't have, they haven't had dads, you know, like they haven't, they've never had that, you know what I mean? Um, some of them have and they just haven't been that present or whatever as well. But like, um, yeah, I think there's there's a, that huge, there's a huge part. And I think by having your own insight into that, when you work with a kid, you can go, oh yeah, this kid, this kid's me when I was younger or this kid's actually got his shit together a little bit earlier because he's had some hard times, you know, and he's had to wash his own stuff since he was eight years old because things were tough at his house. You know, like you, you kind of, you can, you can see both sides of that sort of thing once you're more aware of your own, you know, upbringing and what formed you. Um, I love that you touched on, getting into your business there. I think that that is an obvious realization for anyone who's intelligent in the, in the area of, you know, strength science, sports science, performance coaching, etc. You realize at some stage a degree is very expensive, but it's relatively easy and common to get. It's not necessarily going to get you a great job. Even if you get a PhD, there's no guarantee of any income really on the other side of that. So you have this realization that the jobs aren't very well paid. They're very volatile you have to pay a lot of money to be able to qualify for one. And then, you know, like, oh, actually, I wouldn't mind having a family one day and I wouldn't mind being able to, you know, uh, pay the bills. So it's, um, I think it's a realisation that a lot of people go through and, and in the modern age, everyone's branding, everyone's, you know, a lot of people are producing content and that sort of thing. Like, how do you go with um, being being both a commercial brand, you know, and being that, you know, legit school coach, like do you get criticized or do you feel challenged by the commercial aspect of your, of your life? You know, some people will say you're a sellout as soon as you, you know, you have a product. Um, how do you deal with that side of things? No, that's a good question. I think so right off the bat, I try to actually keep the two as separate as possible. Like I, I would never want anyone to like follow me because of the school I work at basically. Like, I know it gives you know, more credibility and things like that, but I, I know like a lot of people will be like, oh, um, you know, I, I worked with like, I don't know, I worked with Kobe Bryant. Like, so I was a strength coach for Michael Jordan. I was a strength coach for, like, I am the last person who wants to be like that. I mean, cause, and to be honest, I've worked with some very high achieving athletes, but I'm not going to go around saying, oh yeah, I work, I'm good. I'm good because I work, you know what? Think I'm good because maybe I, I was able to instill confidence in a 10 year old, you know, like and make them believe in themselves and have fun, you know, doing their sport instead of maybe their parents, like kind of being a validation thing, like maybe like me because of that, you know, or like me because I, maybe I, maybe I brought a guest on, on my podcast who made you 
sparked your intuition and you came up with something creative that was awesome on your own. Um, I, I think that, so for me, it's just, it's very natural in the sense of like, I can't, once I've sparked the fact, like starting your own business, I think is, is, it's a mark of that transition from child to adult or child to, to warrior. If you're like in the warrior, king, queen archetype, like, yep. like you, you're not a child anymore because I, I think you can easily be a child if you go to school. Okay. You know, all these people help you get a job that, you know, the career people said that, you know, let, help me with my resume. You're in a job that is basically like still people making the rules for you. Still, everything's still assigned for you. There's still no personal, you never had to get outside the box and really truly do it yourself. Yep. Um, and so and I, I know it's interesting, like, and I think we're being thrown into this, like I saw a stat of like in, in 10 years, like a huge percentage of the world's going to be freelancers just with the way the economy is going. And I think that's good. Like, and so I, it, it's doing that just sparked, it, it made such a huge wholesale change in me and just how I fundamentally saw everything um, that like I, like I said, my last year, I also had the biggest recruiting class I ever had. Like it was just this insane spark of confidence that made me really truly believe in myself. And on top of it too, you, you just feel more now, whether this is my own personal business or whether this is university work, it doesn't matter. Everything is more weighted because you realize that the business is actually you as a person is the growth of you, your soul, your spirit, your mind, everything that's, that's the highest priority and whether it's university or the that's personal so business. Yeah, it, yeah, thank you. I, the, the personal business just helps. It's a financial help for sure. And I think even if there was no like personal business, uh, you know, financially, you know, if like my life was just to be the best, um, like Domino's pizza box or ever, I want to be like that guy in the commercials who is making a hundred boxes in 30 seconds, you know, like, like it just has to be pure growth. And like, you know, regardless of what you do, I, I mean, and I'll, and I'll say this too. I mean, I think that it's easy to say everyone, I don't think everyone is necessarily cut out to be their own boss. Uh, I, I do think like, but I have such tremendous respect for like, I'm riding the bus to work two days ago and there's, you know, I live in Berkeley. So there's a lot of like mentally um, people with like mental issues who are homeless and they'll go on the bus and they'll just give the bus driver the hardest time and just cuss them out. And everyone on the bus is getting ticked off but this bus driver just handles it super professionally. He's patient. He knows exactly what to do. I was like, I have all, and, and after this one situation, I like told the bus driver, I was like, dude, you are such a professional, like, <laughs> like good for you. Like, I, you know, if I was, if I was doing that job, I would want to be like you. And, and you inspired me today because of what you did. So, I mean, yeah. no discredit for the people who aren't like, don't have that wiring to be an entrepreneur. Cause I mean, I have it. I just didn't realize it till life slapped me in the face. Uh, but I just think, you know, what am I, no matter what, how is my soul spirit? How am I growing? And, and whatever it takes to trigger that, like until then, I think we're all kind of living in the matrix a little bit, you know? Um, it does trigger growth, right? It's such a, I think so many people were paralyzed by the fear of what other people are going to say that they don't even really say anything. And I think I, for a long time would always quote other people's stuff and I still do. I think it's not necessarily always a bad thing, but I would hide behind, well, this guy says this, this guy says this, this guy says I wouldn't back my own experience around things until I really bought into this role. And, and, and then you start to, you know, actually stand for what you, you know, what you believe in and that sort of thing. And that's an ongoing journey for sure for, for me. But I think when you decide to have a business, you have to have an opinion. Like you have to put yourself out there to an extent. And that means your head's on the chopping block to an extent as well. Right. Like, um, have you had any real like 
what's what would have been the biggest challenges around uh the hardest times around having having your own business what's the what's the dark side because everyone's talking about the brightness and you know van chuck telling everybody just you know work 15 hour days 18 hour days 20 hour days for you know the next five years and you might start making 60 grand a year or something like what uh what's the what's the reality what's the dark side of you know having your own business for you yeah, I think I think the dark side's probably different for everyone. Like you mentioned Vaynerchuk, like it's hard to imagine anyone who works that much, but like you look at balance, like how is your life balanced? And so uh for me, the biggest one has been just for me, like like before it's like Joel's validation is as an athlete. Like like if I can high jump seven feet, I feel like life is yeah. good. If I had a practice where I could barely clear six, I'm like incredibly depressed. And not incredibly depressed, but I mean, for me, like I'm generally, my mood's pretty up there, but like for me, I'm very like down in the dumps and like, and it's coming from this, like, basically like if you can't do this as an athlete, where's your worth? What else, what else is your, what are you on this earth for? And so originally it was getting over that. Like, look, I'm not, I am not my muscles or my tendons or my ability to project myself, you know, four feet off the ground in this rock that's 7,000 miles, like who cares? Like whatever, like. Um, so, but then I actually, and this is where I'm, I'm seeing it now is like, if it's a day and I haven't sold a few books in a while, I get really, but my wife would be like, man, Julie, you're really bummed out. Like, and like, I'm like, wait, why am I bummed out? Oh yeah. It's because and it's like, it just sinks in. It doesn't, I don't even think about it. So, and, and, and one of the things I love about like, you know, if I'm training somebody and they, you know, if you, in the private business, if you train someone and they, they hand you some money, you feel good about yourself. And, and so there's like all that, but I realize a lot of that like for me with the business side of things, if I'm getting money, it's like, well, I'll say training people is training people. And it's nice. The, the, the flow of money is awesome. Like absolutely. It's always a blessing. But at the end of the day, I think I, I've found that like I validated myself because I grew up with parents who were very like anti it's bad to be rich. Rich people are greedy. You know, that whole rig and roll that was planted in my subconscious that I've had to work through, you know, hypnosis and the whole nine yards of that, which actually has been incredibly helpful. Mm. Um, but, like it's almost like now I'm like, I want to prove my parents wrong. I want to prove that I can make money. I can want to prove that I'm worth this. And, and I'm, and I'm now I'm dealing through that, right? Like that's my dark side is putting so much validation in that and, and realizing like, look, money is just energy flow. Like the more love you have, the bigger your cup that, you know, it's just, you, the, you, your needs will be taken care of and the growth of your soul is the most important. And that's what I'm really working through right now. And so I think to me, it's just, it, it has been that, uh, lately, originally it was just being too much of a perfectionist. A perfectionism is a big part of mine too. Like I will spend a lot longer on a podcast pre-roll than a lot of people would think sometimes. Like <laughs> this, I want one's to gonna go, this one's going to go live probably today, Joel. And it's, it's, um, yeah, you don't have any room for, for mistakes that we had in, uh, in, in your podcast. So yeah, we definitely <laughs> have different ways of, of doing those sorts of things. But yeah, that perfectionist side is probably part of the reason why you've done so well. But then the other side, yeah, it's it's uh, not always the easiest to live with yourself, right? It's a killer, yeah. And I will say it's like, oh, I don't care what people think about me. No, I do because I look at how long I take to do the pre-roll sometimes. But it's, no, it's just me. It's just like, I want to make sure it's like, did I did I give this client the due diligence in introducing them? And I, I don't want to sound like there is there is still... So it's like that is the part that runs, runs under my own radar and just like... So, so perfectionism and then just attaching myself, moving past athletic validation to now it's like Lewis Howes and the masks, right? For a while it was the athlete mask. Okay. Finally took that off. Thank God. 
And now it's the, the, the money mask, you know, and now I, I take that one off. Now what's the next one. I don't know, but at least those two masks are gone. So I have however many more to go through yeah. in my life. See. Yeah. Yeah. I think like either extreme with the money stuff of like, I'm all about the money or I don't need to make any money. Like I, I see both as a real problem. Like I probably see more people with the, oh, I don't need to make any money. Like I just want to help people. It's like, well, actually, you can't help anyone because you can't afford to do anything. Like, you can't, you can't go anywhere. You can't get educated. You, you don't even buy ebooks because you don't, you know, you have no money. Like, that means, and that also is a symptom of you're not helping anybody. Like, you're actually not helping anybody. It's the people, people who people are willing to invest in are the ones that people are actually listening to the most as well, right? So, it's, um, I think it's a big challenge to be, okay, to make a lot of money, but stay creative and don't be driven by the money. Like, I think that is the, that is the game. Like if, when you have a lot of money, you can do a lot of things. Like I was laying in bed this morning doing my breathing stuff and I'm thinking, I remember now I I wanted to run schools. Like I wonder what it's like to actually buy an orphanage or take over an orphanage. And, and like, how would we run that thing? Like, how would they train? What would they eat? You know, what would the education be like for those kids? And that, that's a problem that my wife and I have spent time you know, thinking about, speaking about, I've got two beautiful children. I, I know, you know, I, wor- I worked in orphanage in Guatemala for a while. Some of those kids had seen their parents get killed. It's not cool. Like, those, it's not their fault, those kids' fault. Like, what could we do for those kids? Like, and I've, you know, Joe Rogan's had some good podcasts recently where they start to talk about answering those questions, whether it's, you know, with universal basic income and those sorts of things or just really creating good systems for the people who don't, you know, haven't been given the best opportunity. Like, why should they not have a great opportunity because they've, you know, they've been born into that environment. I think if I can bring myself into financial abundance, like there's going to be this stuff, you know, like I don't, I don't care if I'm still wearing the same jacket, like people who know me know that I'm wearing the same stuff, like my thousand dollar car is broken in the driveway. Um, you know, like it's not about the money, but at the same time, I want to be filthy rich, you know, and that's even a stupid word in itself. Right. But I want to have a lot of abundance because I can go and build these places, these performance centers, you know, for, for, for disadvantaged people and that sort of thing. And like that excites the hell out of me. So I'll get up and I'll keep working hundred hour weeks until that happens or until my wife tells me to slow down a little bit. And that's probably the other challenge as well. But you, you probably uh, feel a little bit of that as well with having those, you know, different compartments in your life. Um, uh, yeah, I think that there's, there's so much there to, uh, to unpack around, around money and, and the journey that business, the business takes you on it. But we'd probably, you know, we're not going to get to cover everything today. And I did want to really touch on um, your knowledge on tendons and your experience around feet and, and, and Achilles and knees, you know, tendons, because obviously as a jumper, you're going to have challenges with that, like jumper's knee and Achilles tendon, like every jumper is probably going to experience that at some stage. And you know that I'm, you know, we're both good friends with Ben Patrick now, and it looks like Real Movement's going to have a, a tight sort of partnership going forward with, with him. And that's, I'm very excited about that because I feel like there's, there's a ton of value there. Um, yeah, I would love to hear your, uh, a little bit about what you've learned through the challenges of, of Achilles, uh, pain. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I, and, uh, I'm glad you mentioned this. It's a little bit different than our, our talk so far, but it's, I'm, I'm glad we got to this cause I'm like super excited about this. And again, it's one of those points where it's like, look, this will happen in my life for a reason. Just like with Ben, where his knees were trashed for his, before his, you know, return 20 year before he found like the Charles Poliquin methods and really made that his own and, and worked there. Yep. I've had Achilles pain ever since I was about like 25, 26. 
And I remember like, I still competed in track and field and high jump until I was about 27, 28. My last competition was when I was 29. Then I kind of hung it up because I realized that because of my Achilles, I just couldn't do the training I needed to, to be the athlete that I was when I was jumping seven feet. And I'm like, if I can't do this, I just need to do some other things. And I found rock climbing and pursued that. And, you know, some of the, you know, we've talked about those types of things on the podcast we did before. So, but it was just like, it was, there's something about, there's something about like just jumping and bouncing and bounding that is pure joy. And I know like, if you look at like the mind, body, somatic stuff with Alexander Lowen and and that, that came out, I think like the sixties, seventies, that stuff is like, there's just something that's, that's joyful to me about that. Like, yes, I love lifting, but the way I'm wired, like I love to move and sprint and jump and, 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 and dance and, and do all these more like, I'm not naturally quite as strong. That's not an excuse. I mean, my lifts are okay, but anyways. Um, so I, through the last few years, particularly uh, in my mentorship with the Darian Barr, who is just an insane expert and not, not, not like he's insane, but like that word being like how good he is with the foot. I've never met anyone who's even close. Like we were talking about like a lot of people just competing and over generally the kind of the same thing, same areas against each other. Adarian is just totally outside of that. And so through a lot of his work with, uh, through both his work and then getting into like some Marvin Rinovich and PVC pipe training stuff, I had a cool conversation with Olympic high jumper, Amy Acuff on uh, her work with Marvin Rinovich and the PVC pipe stuff and how alive her feet would feel. And just after perpetually playing with all this stuff for a, a while, um, I, I came to realize, okay, like, uh, yes, well, the feet are crucial. I think I've realized that for a long time, but I, but through a daring, I've learned to realize exactly what components you're looking for. Yep. And it all came full circle when this combination of doing PVC pipe work, which I found made an immediate impact in my tendon health, which is how crazy. Do you, how do you do that? Like I, I've actually seen some of Marv's stuff, but maybe people, uh, and, I, and I, it's very innovative and I really, really love it. But people who are listening in, like, what are we talking about? What are you doing with that PVC pipe? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I've actually tried to figure out why it works. <laughs> well, first off, what do you do? Uh, four inch diameter PVC pipe, um, just a little bit longer than your feet. And all I did honestly was just play around standing on it. I would stand on the two pipes barefoot. I would do squats. I would do calf raises. I would maybe squat side to side. I would try to scoot them back and forth a little bit. Um, roll your feet inside, outside. I just, just play around. There's no magic in the sets and reps and positions. I, I think, you know, if I create a system out of it one day, I have to, I guess, cause that's just how it is. But at the end of the day, just playing is fine. And I, and so after doing that, just a couple sessions, I noticed just waking up the next day, I had no Achilles pain. Whereas typically those first two steps would always be sore and bad. And like, how, uh, how long would you play on there for when you, those first few sessions, like were you doing like half an hour or 10 minutes or just like five minutes. It's crazy. Yeah, five minutes. Yeah. yeah cool. Five and, pretty, and so pretty good bank I, buck. Yeah. One of the best. And now, now every, so I'm in this cool thing too, with my training sessions. Now I'll say like, okay, here's my warm up. three minutes, play with PVC pipes, three minutes, play with Indian clubs, three minutes, play with ground-based movement, three minutes, playing handles, the bars, the end now go work out. Um, so PVC pipe, just playing around has been one of the things. And I've just been trying to figure out why, because, you know, we look at things like BOSU ball and balance training and like, you know, there's, what is, what is that doing? And, and what, and so what I've kind of wrapped my mind around a little bit is, well, the reason my Achilles is it's messed up. And this is what I learned from Madeira is I've lost calcaneal motion. My calcaneus doesn't evert and invert like it used to. It's a little bit more fixed. And if you're in a shoe and especially as that shoe gets older, your heel starts to sink, your calcaneus starts to sink down into the bottom and it becomes even more of a cast than it was before. 
And so now all the force is really going right to your Achilles. It's more sagittal plane focused. Yep. And so that, that builds up. And it's like, I think, you know, the knees over toe stuff and Ben's work is absolutely freaking incredible. I've found that the Achilles stuff, you can't just solve Achilles with strength. I think it's more, there is a, a finesse to the joint motion. There's a finesse to the way the ankle moves that will transfer these 10, 12 times forces correctly into your Achilles. So it's a combination of strength and proper reception and footwear because the, the foot is very triplanar. Yeah. Um, and so, and so that, that has been, and as well as, uh, uh, Adarian's, I was actually trying to send you a picture of these, but Adarian has made some, some special heel inserts that help your calcanus to see, sense and feel and move. And okay. so those are available on his website and they're game changers. Um, so it's like a combination of those things that has helped me to like, I can go, if I go run a 200, like five, two hundreds over hurdles with those inserts in my heels, no pain the next day. If I run it without, I'm getting out of bed and I'm hurting. Um, send me, send me the link on those. That's uh, that sounds super interesting. And you no, know, yeah, that's a, that's a massive outcome. It's being able to sprint versus not being able to sprint. Um, what, what, so yeah, you're saying like, obviously the, the strength and strength through length and building, you know, building tissue tolerance, you know, Charles Pollock and his contribution with cult, uh, structural balance, you know, which a lot of coaches have run with in different ways. And, you know, there's a lot of different Pollock guys who, who I, you know, respect a lot and have learned a lot from, and, you know, Ben's one who's been super innovative going towards jumping, um, which is, you know, kind of an interesting direction that not a lot, not a lot of, you know, Pollock inspired a lot of people who wanted to have big biceps as well and big guys and that kind of thing. So like, that's what makes Ben a bit of an anomaly, I think in the, in the, the Poliquin, uh, student kind of, uh, realm, but talk to us then about how does that proprioception, I know we're nearly going to finish up here, proprioception, carcaneal function. Like how do you, is that coming through the balance component of the PVC pipe or is there other stuff there that was really making a difference to you? Do you think beyond, uh, beyond that? Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how much the pipe actually helped with uh, the PB, the, the calcaneus moving because it yeah. really, it can, if you like tilt your feet to the side, invert and evert, it can get moving. It can feed that joint a little bit of movement. Mm. Um, and I, and I, I'm like, well, maybe it's that. There's a few kind of things that I've thought about, right? Like one of the things I think about that it might do is I know my right Achilles or ankle is way worse than my left. My left toes are much more packed together. Like Adarian Barr talked about that transverse arch is a lot tighter, more packed. My right transverse arch is much looser because I've sprained my ankle multiple times on my right foot. Mm. And that those sprains have caused a little bit of spreading of the foot. And so I think that I do think that perhaps the intrinsic muscle activation that's required when doing PVC pipe work has maybe helped me to get a tighter, like a little tighter foot and mm. a foot that moves and prop and, and senses just a little, just good enough to send force through the Achilles better. Um, I'm still honestly, I've had a few conversations with different people who actually aren't a big fan of the PVC from, you know, the, the perspective they're looking at it from, I just know it's worked. And so, um, I think it's something to do with the intrinsic foot muscle activation, the nervous activation, and then the different angles you can hit. Um, you, you think yeah. it could spread the, the foot and the arch as well as, you know, like it, it can strengthen it definitely because you, you, your arches burn. I've, I've played around with that, that, that stuff a bit as well. So it's definitely strengthening, but then maybe, you know, because in the, the movement kind of world, you know, and I've done a lot of work with Ido Portal and guys that have done that kind of train, like they, they want these feet that are like, you know, kind of not oh, like, you know, like got a lot of movement. People want the, the toes really splayed, you know, and not look like they've been jammed in little shoes. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I totally get that. And I think there is like the spectrum. I mean, you maybe you call it health and performance. And you know, I'm an N of one, right? Like I, I will say this, like I've I've gotten I knew it was just a PVC and who knows of mechanics, but like Allison Woods, a high jumper who I've trained who online, she's forty five and set the women's world record in the forty five division. And she had really bad Achilles problems when she came to me. And although the main solution was just stop wearing socks as often as you can for all training, because socks reduce sensation. And your foot can't move as well. And then therefore the Achilles is going to take more. And then PVC pipe work. And those were the, and totally like, you know, and I don't know, maybe there's a guru effect in there. I think, like I said, belief That's system too. Yeah. I tell you to do this. Okay, cool. Um, but totally like resolved her Achilles and she went and set that world record. And so, um, but I, I do, so end of one, I can just tell you my right foot is looser. I've, I've had a really bright guy from the city, Charlie Reed, working my foot too. He's like, yeah, your foot is a lot looser on this side. So I don't know what the, I think you can do a pipe to spread out your foot for sure. I always try to actually not let my toes, like I try to keep my foot kind of tight and packed intentionally as I can on it. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure of the mechanics, but maybe that's, I will, um, I'll continue to train and think about it and get back to you. I am going to be, I am finishing up a book on the subject of foot training in general. And especially a lot for a lot of Achilles people out there. I think it's pretty thorough. It goes through all the stuff and then the foot stuff, the shoe stuff, the strength stuff. And I hope it helps a lot of people's lives because jumping and running is awesome. And Achilles really gets in the way of that. So I'm feeling you on that. And I think that's uh, that's a good message to finish on because you're doing so much work to help people. And, uh, you know, the quality of the, the work that you're putting out, the message that you're getting out to the world is such a powerful one. And, yeah, I, think, I appreciate that you're putting more effort into, you know, getting more information out about the, the foot and the heel and uh, everything that you do, Joel, is I think pushing forward, creative thinking and open-mindedness and yeah, you know, not ignoring the data, but at the same time, not ignoring uh, that maybe there's some stuff we don't know yet. I, I love that about the work that you're doing. I really appreciate you making some time for me. Uh, this morning, we started a little bit earlier than I planned. So that's why I'm sitting here. I was sitting in the dark as we started because it's still dark here in Australia and cold as well. Um, but Amazing to have you on. Uh, I'm very, very excited to, to share this with uh, with my audience. And if you you know got a ton out of this today, make sure you you go on and, and check out Joel's stuff. You know, uh, he's, he's definitely got some creative materials there. Uh, his ebook is next level, and you know, he's helped a lot of people to jump to high levels. Saying he doesn't like mentioning names, but I, I can tell you that there's definitely a lot of results. And I, I was put onto Joel's work uh, by people who who know what they're talking about and who really. Uh, love what Joel does as well. So make sure you get into to Joel's material and give him some feedback on today's podcast. Uh, thank you for making some time for me today. And I really look forward to having you on again and uh, going a bit deeper. I know we, there's so many topics we didn't quite get to today. So if you'd like to hear another podcast with Joel, make sure you uh, tell him as well. And then maybe he'll, uh, I'll be able to convince him to, to take a few more minutes with me at some stage. Yeah. Awesome. Keegan. Thank you so much for having me on. I look forward to talking again. Champion. Thank you. See you, mate. Massively enjoyed that one today. So much wisdom there. Really appreciate Joel's time. I appreciate you guys listening in. I appreciate all the feedback we're getting on the podcast. The new Real Movement website is live. It's just MVMT now. So it's R-E-A-L-M-V-M-T.com. Eight letters. Very simple. And the new website is much cleaner. It's much clearer. If there's an event coming up near you or even on the other side of the world, get along. We've got people coming from Canada. We've got people coming from Hong Kong to come to the Sydney event. We've got more than five 
presenters planned for that two-day event and it's going to be something special so don't miss out and if you're a coach and you really want to take yourself to another level you really should check out what we've got going on with real movement if you haven't seen it then you probably don't know if you don't know then you don't know so book a call check it out uh, jump on the testimonials this is real it works the results are proven in business and with professional athletes there's nothing else in the world like this at the moment and we're taking things to another level. There's another level of support, customer service, care, and achievement. Check it out. What if you did? What if you became one of the success stories? There's a lot. What if you joined them? Talk to you soon. Keegan Smith, Real Movement.